October is here, which means craziness in the kennel and the college basketball season is imminent. Today, we discuss potential lineups and playing time outlooks, how many wins and losses this team might have in the non-conference slate, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I would like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. All right, happy October, happy Monday, happy return of Mailbag Monday, one of my favorite segments that we do here on the Locked On Zags podcast. I put it on a hiatus during the last few months as I was doing just three episodes per week. I'm very happy to report that I am back, not only doing Mailbag Monday, but doing five episodes per week. We are truly your team every single day right now as we get prepared for the start of the college basketball season. I'm very, very excited. Got a handful of questions that have trickled in, some that came through just recently, some that I've been waiting on for a little bit, but I'm very, very excited to get them going. If you are new to the podcast, new to Locked On, new to Gonzaga fandom, whatever it may be, there are very, very simple ways to participate in Mailbag Monday if you are interested in doing so. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB. You can also reach out at Locked On Zags. Whenever you're thinking of a question, pop it there. I'll save it. I'll put it in my notes. We'll get it ready for the show on Monday. I also send out a tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet. Make sure your question gets in the show that way. Finally, you can email me, andypatton 13 at gmail.com. That's the email. Send them there whenever you're thinking of them. You can send multiple. You can send just one really, really long one if you want to, whatever it may be. Send your questions there. I'll get them into the show. All right, we are starting things out with Twitter user at four underscore four two five who says, do you think Few switches up the starting five throughout the first half of the season or tries to stick with one solid core? Yeah, this is really the big question. I think we look back at Mark Few's history, his tendencies as a head coach, there's not a lot of tinkering with the starting lineup. It just is not something that has been done all that often. I think it's worth acknowledging that Mark Few's rosters haven't often looked like this. Mark Few's always had good teams. The Zags have been good for 20 years. You don't make the tournament 22 seasons in a row unless your team is pretty freaking good every single year. It's hard to play that well. But the rosters from 2005, 2010, 2014, etc., and the rosters now are just different. They're, the caliber of recruit that Gonzaga is getting at this level is insane. They were getting five-star recruits extremely regularly. That's just not something that has been happening. The first five-star recruit to come to Gonzaga straight out of high school was Zach Collins in 2016. This is just not something that has happened at Gonzaga all of that often. And then, of course, the transfer portal and the ability to get players immediately eligible. NIL, there's tons of factors that that have created a situation where 
the talent pool in college basketball is very high, and the talent pool at Gonzaga is just ludicrously high. There are nine players on this team who could conceivably start. Drew Timmy said that in a recent interview he did with John Fanta of Fox Sports 1. You kind of expect players to really hype up their own teammates, but... This is, this is a, a legitimate challenge for Mark Few, for this staff, is how are they going to get playing time for everybody on this roster who needs playing time? Forget just starting. Like There's guys who are good enough to start for most Division I teams in the country who are going to have a hard time playing at all. That's, that's going to be an interesting thing to see how Mark Few handles that, how much adjusting he's willing to do, because... In the past, we've seen coaches kind of stick with the rotation that he creates. Not always. There are notable counterexamples. Counter Andrew Nembhard did not begin the 2020-2021 season as a starter. He didn't receive eligibility to even play that year until just a few games before the season started. But he didn't start until about halfway through the year. They switched up the starting lineup. Anton Watson reverted back to being a sixth man. Andrew Nembhard stepped into a starting role. And that team, which was already really good, kind of even hit another stride Another level once they figured out that really prominent two-point guard lineup with Suggs and Nembhard. A few years before that, Joel Iyayi stepped into a starting role in place of Admon Gilder. Gilder had suffered an injury, wasn't quite playing up to his standards in part because of the injury, in part just because he was adjusting to a new team. Meanwhile, Joel was really, really killing it. They switched the starting lineup. That change ended up becoming permanent. Joel stepped into the starting lineup for the rest of the season, for the rest of his Gonzaga basketball career. So it's not like Mark Few has never done this. He has made adjustments. He has changed his starting lineup, but he doesn't do it often. I think the fact that he has done it a few times recently is a strong indication that he will be willing to do that again. This team is loaded. The difference between players 3, 4, 5, and 6, 7, 8 is pretty small. It's pretty small. Drew Timmy's going to start. Julian Strother's going to start. I think there's probably a handful of other spots that are pretty well solidified. Mark Few probably has, has a starting lineup in mind, and he's pretty likely to go with that. But this team is going to require some adjusting. And I think it's not fair for Coach Few to be ironclad in what his starting lineup looks like because there are a ton of ways to implement this team in, in situations that are going to be headaches for the opposing team. You can put out lineups that are really long and really strong defensively. You can put up lineups that are maybe a little bit weaker on the defensive end of the floor, but are really good shooting lineups. You can, I mean, you can create... There are a handful of different lineups you can create that, that are totally different from one another, but are arguably just as good as each other. And I think that's what's going to be such a challenge is how do you figure out what to do with a guy like Dominic Harris, who on the outside doesn't look like there's going to be a ton of, pl a ton of playing time for him, but he's really, really good. He's bided his time. He's you know potentially one of the best perimeter defensive players on this roster, potentially one of the best outside shooters on this roster. You can't just auto bench a guy like that. He probably doesn't begin the season in the starting lineup, and I'm not sure that he ends up starting throughout the year at all, but you got to find a spot to play him. What do you do with Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas? One of those guys probably starts, the other one doesn't. Do you alter that throughout the year? Kind of depends whether you want Malachi Smith to be your primary point guard, whether Hickman's the primary point guard, Smith and Bolton play off the ball. Of course, there's the, there's the issue of whether Julian Strother's truly going to play some of that small ball four, which is what many people are expecting. 
is that Drew Timmy will start at the five, Julian Strother starts at the four, and the Zags effectively start a three-guard lineup outside of that, whether it's Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton, Nolan Hickman, whether it's some other combination involving Hunter Salas, involving Dominic Harris, remains to be seen. But they could also start Anton Watson at the four, start Julian Strother at the three, only start two guards. Tons of options for Coach Few. I hope that by scheduling two exhibition games, by scheduling a really, really treacherous non-conference schedule, that part of the appeal there is that this team is going to be trial by fire. They're going to be going right out of the shoots. They're going to be playing good teams in the exhibition against Tennessee. They're going to be playing good games really early in the season against Michigan State, against Texas, against Kentucky. All three of those games are within a nine-day period in mid-November. That is really, really tough. I hope that Mark Few is willing to make some adjustments, make some changes, try some new lineups, try some different substitution patterns. It hasn't been his MO for most of the last 20 years, so expecting it is probably a bit of fool's gold because it's just not something he's done all that often. But with this caliber of talent on this roster, I think it makes the most sense to do everything you can to optimize the best lineups you can do to try to win as many basketball games as possible. All right, second and final question of the first segment comes from Walker via Gmail. Walker says, who plays more minutes and has a bigger impact for the Zags this season, Efton Reed or Anton Watson? I think that's a really tough question, and I think that I like the way this question is phrased because it doesn't say who is better or who is going, it's who's going to have a bigger impact. And I think for this season, that's going to be Anton Watson. I think part of the reason is simple. Mark Few loves veterans. He loves program guys. He loves honoring and kind of respecting guys who have been through the who have been through the system. Anton Watson has been here for a long time. He's been a guy who has played his role very well for three years. He's entering his fourth season, his senior year. It's not his final year of eligibility because of the COVID-19 extra year that these guys got, but it is potentially his final year in a Gonzaga uniform. And he is, he is also the most veteran player on the roster alongside Drew Timmy and most veteran Zag, I should say, because Rasir Bolton technically has been in college longer than those guys, but he has not been at Gonzaga for as long. Regardless, I think Watson just fits this team's needs a little bit more than Efton Reed. When Reed came to Gonzaga, he was not... It was before Drew Timmy had made his decision, so we weren't really sure what his role was going to be. Now he looks more like the backup center. I think he's going to play a fair amount. I don't think he's going to be buried on the bench. I think we will see quite a bit of Efton Reed this year, but I think we're going to see more of Anton Watson. I think he fills more of a perimeter defensive role. Efton Reed is a good perimeter defensive player, but that's kind of all that he did in Will Wade's defensive setup at LSU. He's not much of a shot blocker, not because he's incapable of blocking shots, but because he wasn't really asked to do that in that defense over at LSU. And and I think his offense is, I'm not sure what his offense is going to look like right now. There's He was kind of projected to be more of an outside shooter coming out of high school. He didn't really do that much at LSU. If you want him to play alongside Drew Timmy, he probably needs to be able to play away from the rim. Anton Watson is not a good outside shooter. That has not been a part of his game at all in his collegiate career. He is more of a low post scorer, but he's has such a strong impact defensively in half-court traps, just just even in regular half-court defense. He's very, very talented in that regard. I think they're both going to play a similar amount of minutes. I think Efton Reed has a higher upside and is more likely to be a tremendously impactful Gonzaga player in a few years. But I think for this season, we're going to see more of Anton Watson, and he's going to have a slightly bigger impact than Efton Reed, at least this year. 
All right, second segment coming up, we are going to answer even more listener submitted questions. We're going to discuss schedules for the men's teams and the women's teams. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. With small businesses back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then, add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job sinkers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Segment two, still in patent, still locked on Zags. Want to thank all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. I appreciate being a part of your daily routine. Also, want to thank all of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. We are trying to get to a thousand subscribers before Gonzaga's first game, which is scheduled for November seventh against North Florida. If you are listening to this and you haven't done so yet, go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that big red subscribe button. It is much appreciated. Mailbag Monday rolls on, and this segment we got a handful of questions from listener Jeff via Gmail. We'll start with this one. Jeff says, now that we know the full schedule for both Gonzaga's men's and women's basketball, what do you think the floor and or ceiling is for wins for the non-conference and WCC play? Well, as I understand it, Jeff, just to be clear, the men do have one more game to add to their schedule, even with the two exhibition games. I believe we're going to see another game added probably between the December 20th game against Montana and the December 30th, excuse me, December 31st WCC opener against Pepperdine. That's an 11 game or 11 day break. I expect we're going to see a game added in there. Probably not anybody that is going to realistically challenge Gonzaga in the win department, but still, I think there is one more game that's coming down the pipeline. Regardless, the Zags could, we're talking floor ceiling. Ceiling, the Zags could go undefeated. When you start the season as the number one ranked team, or number two or three ranked team, they're going to be in the top five almost certainly. Yeah, their schedule is murderous. Texas, Michigan State, Alabama, Kentucky, the PK-85, Baylor. This is a ridiculously challenging non-conference schedule. I do not expect them to go undefeated. But if we're talking about ceiling, Gonzaga is the best team in the country. They could win every single game that they play. That is, it's very far from outside the realm of possibility. They did it a few years ago until they got to the national championship game against Baylor. This can be done. I think it's going to be tough to do this year, but we're also talking about an experienced team. Drew Timmy's back. Rasir Bolton's back. Julian Strother's back. Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman are young guys, but they have both been in the system before. Anton Watson, veteran guy. And Malachi Smith may be new to Gonzaga, but he's not new to college basketball. He's been playing college basketball for a handful of years. So this is a, a very veteran-laden team. And I think that there's a realistic chance that they do a really, really good job through this non-conference schedule. I think the floor, the floor is pretty, pretty extensive here too. I mean, they could lose as many as five games. I think that would be surprising. Five non-conference games would be very surprising. Five games total 
is possible. Five, six even could definitely happen if they really struggle this year. But I think ultimately we're looking at a team that's probably going to lose between two and three games, maybe one to three games total. Kentucky's going to be tough, even if it's at the Spokane Arena, Texas at Texas for the third game of the season. That's an extremely challenging game. Winning the PK-85 is going to be really, really hard just because playing three games in three days is always tough. And with those, the second team and the third team are going to be tremendously challenging opponents, regardless of who they are. We know they're going to be good. Baylor is is a really, really tough opponent this year. They're going to be really good. Keontae George is a freaking stud incoming freshman for that team. Like that, that they're going to be, they're going to be really, really tough. So I think one to three losses is probably the likely outcome. I could see them coming out of the non-conference with three losses and maybe losing one more in the regular season, which would be a four-loss team. But I think they're going to kind of be right in there. Women's team, it's a little bit different for them. I think two to five losses is probably the normal-ish range. Their non-conference schedule is not nearly as challenging as as the men's team, but that's because the men's team is one of the most challenging non-conference schedules we've ever seen. Uh, The women are going to play Stanford. That's always tough. They're going to open with Louisville in the battle for Atlantis. They have Wyoming, Stephen F. Austin, who are mid-major programs that could give them some problems as well. I think they're probably going to do a pretty good job in the non-conference. Stanford's always tough. That Louisville game is going to be tough. Uh, but BYU is a really big challenge in conference. And the difference between how Gonzaga rolls through the conference and how the women's or how the men's team rolls through the conference, I should say, and how the women's team rolls through the conference is just a little different. The women's team win the vast majority of their games, but they're not automatic to win basically every game the way that the men's team is. So I think you're probably going to see two, maybe three losses in conference play for this women's team. And I think for the men's team, there's a reasonable chance you see zero. It's probably not going to be more than two or so. So I think this both these teams have really high floors. The ceiling for both of them is borderline undefeated. I, I think it'd be very surprising if the women's team were to pull that off just because they're not quite at that level where the men's team is. But neither of these teams should have a, a whole lot of losses by the time the, the calendar rolls to March. Next question, sticking with the same theme from Jeff here. Jeff says, if the men are no worse than 28 and three and the women are no worse than, say, 26 and five, what sort of seed range do you think they could get for March Madness? I'll tell you this. If the men's team loses three or less games, they're going to be one seed. I I don't think there's a it would be shocking, shocking if they were not a one seed based on that, because if they only lose three games, that means that they secured wins over some combination of Baylor, Kentucky, Alabama. Again, all those teams that we've been talking about, if they lose and if they lose to some of those best teams, but they beat everybody else, everybody else, it's going to be really hard for them to not be a one seed. Again, talking about seeding when we're in the first day of October, the first podcast of October, obviously very hard to know what it looks like. It depends what happens to the other teams. I always go back to 2013 because that was my senior year. That was a really impactful year for me as a college basketball fan. But that team was the number one overall seed, mostly because there were not a lot of other good teams in college basketball. There just just wasn't the year. It was just an odd year. And I think those are the kind of things that need to be evaluated when looking at how a seed's going to shake out. I don't know how it's going to shake out because I don't know how the rest of the teams are looking. But it's hard to imagine anything under a four-loss Gonzaga team not being a number one seed. They've been a number one seed for so many years. They've kind of earned that status. And this non-conference slate is just absolutely loaded. For the women's team, it's a little bit harder to predict. I'm not as familiar with how the rest of the women's basketball as a whole, like what what teams are really going to be near the top of the standings for that. 
I think for the women's team, if they're a five-loss team, they really do go 26-5. and five. If they win the WCC, it's hard to imagine they're not a single-digit seed and not a top-five seed. 26-5 and five for any team at any level is good. It's really good. It's really hard to go 26-5. and five. That's a really, really good record for the women's team. If they're able to do that when they're playing BYU multiple times per year, when they're playing in a good, not great, but good conference, when they have non-conference games against teams like Stanford and Wyoming and Stephen F. Austin and Louisville and whomever else they're playing in the non-conference, I think you're going to look at a team that's going to get a healthy seed in March with the expectation that, hey, this this team is capable of making a run to the Sweet 16, maybe even making a run to the Elite Eight. Next question comes from Dustin via Twitter. Dustin says... Warner Pacific and Tennessee for Gonzaga's two exhibition games. Has there ever been a wider spread in terms of talent? And do you think it's good to see two totally different teams as exhibition opponents? Yeah, Tennessee and Warner Pacific are definitely not schools that you would expect to see in the same sentence together all of that often. Warner Pacific is an NAIA school based in Portland. The athletic director for the Warner Pacific Knights is Matt Gregg, the father of Gonzaga forward Ben Gregg. That's part of the reason this game came together. The men's team is going to travel out to Spokane to play the Zags in early November before the start of the actual season. Gonzaga is also going to play Tennessee in Frisco, Texas, near Drew Timmy's hometown. That is the other exhibition. Mark Few, Rick Barnes, close friends, have scheduled a lot of opponents or scheduled a lot of games together in the past. I think it's going to be great to have two totally different exhibition opponents. I think it gives Mark Few the opportunity to try some things that he might not get to try otherwise, or that he might not get to try in one 40-minute instance. And the, the the Warner Pacific game, I think, gives A, it's just fun to get a chance to play, you know, for Ben to get a chance to play against the school that his dad works at, and to kind of, for, the, for those kids to get an opportunity to come to Spokane to play in the kennel. Like, it's just a cool opportunity, but it's also a chance for players like Ben to play a little bit more. For Braden Huff to get a little bit more run, for some of the ex, for some of the walk-ons, Kellen Mitchell, newest walk-on on the team, maybe he gets an extended run in that game. Caden Perry, a guy who, if he's healthy, I, I'm not sure what his role is going to look like, but you can bet he's going to be on the floor a lot for that game. And then in the Tennessee game, you can really try to put out the lineup that you expect to win basketball games with this and see what it looks like. If Tennessee is able to exploit some weaknesses in that starting lineup, maybe Mark Few makes an early adjustment. Maybe he says, you know what, we do want Hunter Salas in the starting lineup for that defensive presence. Or, you know what, we actually want his energy coming off the bench. We're going to switch things up a little bit. I think that that's a great opportunity, I think, for for the Zags to be able to to schedule a, a team like Tennessee in the exhibition schedule. It gives them an opportunity to really see what their team is made of really, really early in the schedule. And then, of course, the Warner Pacific and, and the games that they've had in the past, similar to that, Eastern Oregon, Southern Oregon, Lewis Clark State, those are always good opportunities to kind of just get your whistle wet, as it were, and just kind of get get out on the court, play against teams, uh, players that aren't your own teammates, and also for some of those younger guys or guys who maybe are just outside the rotation, they get an opportunity to play a little bit more. Final question of the segment, another one from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, any chance the Zag women end up with more non-conference wins than the men, even though they play two fewer non-conference games? Likewise, any chance the Zag men end up with more WCC wins than the women, even though they play fewer games? I think the Zag women winning more non-conference games would be quite a surprise. I just don't think the men are going to lose that many games. They, they're going to lose a couple. I shouldn't say they are. They could 
lose a couple. It's very possible with the way that their schedule lines up this year that they're not going to go undefeated in non-conference play. But I don't think that the Zag women are going to win more. And I also think that the the men are going to win more WCC contests than the women. I just I think there's a reasonable chance the men go undefeated in WCC play. They might lose one. They might lose two. But it's pretty surprising. St. Mary's is always tough. BYU is, of course, tough. I think there's some other teams. USF's still going to be good. San Diego is kind of a team on the rise. But I ultimately don't think any of those teams are really going to seriously challenge Gonzaga outside of St. Mary's and maybe BYU. And even then, more than one loss would be surprising. For the women, it's just more likely they lose a couple more games. I wouldn't be shocked if they only lose one or two games, in which case then it's going to be very, very close. But they're just they, the separation between Gonzaga and the WCC on the men's side is is higher than that separation between Gonzaga and the WCC on the women's side. So I just think it's more likely that they're going to accrue a handful more losses, which is ultimately enough for this to to not end up coming true. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third and final segment and answer even more listener submitted questions. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but college football and the NFL are just getting started, and the MLB season is just coming to its end as well. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. The even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Segment number three, still in the patent, still locked on Zags. Two more questions to get through today. The first Mailbag Monday of the 22-23 season. Gosh, it feels so good to be almost back to college basketball. This question comes from Kenneth via Gmail. Kenneth says, "Will with Will Graves and Matthew Lang gone, who will be Gonzaga's walk-on taco specialist? And will we see more than just Joe Few in late-game blowouts? Yeah, the Zags... Walk-on fraternity is going through a bit of an overhaul. Matthew Lang transferred to the University of Arizona. He's hanging out with Tommy Lloyd and Rem Bacamus as a walk-on over there. Shout out to him. Worked incredibly hard at Gonzaga. Was a player who probably could have contributed to a lot of other Division I programs. Now he gets a chance to go to Arizona, play for another outstanding coach, another outstanding program. Excited for him. And Will Graves has moved on as well. He is going to play at Southern Oregon University. Very excited for Will to see what he's able to do in an opportunity to actually play. He just didn't get to play all that much at Gonzaga. Of course, he was a walk-on, still a tremendous accomplishment for him to get to be on the roster, but I'm excited to see what he can do in a more featured role at Southern Oregon. That leaves Joe Few, of course, who we talked about a little bit, as well as Abe Eagle, Colby Brooks, and Kellen Mitchell. Mitchell is the newcomer. Uh, He is a good basketball player. Kellen Mitchell, if you haven't read, it's a great write-up on Kellen Mitchell at the Slipper Still Fits. Worth checking out there if you haven't seen it already. But the short answer for Mitchell is he was 
really injured in high school. He unfortunately was not able to play a lot, but he had some interest very early in his high school career. He transferred to a high-profile program in California, played some AAU ball. Georgetown and Oklahoma had both sent him letters, expressed some interest in his basketball skills, but multiple surgeries on both his legs cost him basically all of his high school basketball playing career. Roger Powell happened to catch him playing some AAU ball to talk to him, expressed interest. They talked about potential preferred walk-on for him. He came to Spokane, loved it, decided to come to Gonzaga. But this is, he's not your typical walk-on. I think we've said that before. The Zags haven't really had a walk-on contributor since Mike Hart and David Stockton. That was close to a decade ago now, which is really just making me feel quite old. But it's not something that you expect to see at high-profile programs like Gonzaga all that often. But Mitchell, he's 6'7". He's hair over 200 pounds. He's a really, really good outside shooter, shot 42% in high school. There's some intrigue here. How healthy he stays, how healthy he is currently, those are things that I'm not super privy to at this moment. We'll find out more as the season comes on. I, I would expect to see Mitchell mostly just in the exhibition games. There's a chance he full-on redshirts this year and does not play at all. That is pretty typical of redshirts, or excuse me, of walk-ons early in their career. Case in point, Abe Eagle and Colby Bricks. They are each entering their third season on Gonzaga's roster. If you are just hearing their name for the first time right now, you are not alone. They have not played one single minute of basketball for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They have been sitting out. They were not eligible to play, I believe, because Gonzaga has roster limitations on just how many guys can travel with the team, how many guys can dress for games, because Will Graves, because Matthew Lang, because Joe Few all dressed for games. I think that's why we haven't seen those guys yet. There's some openings now. It's possible we see Abe Eagle and Colby Brooks for the first time this season. I'm excited to see. I love seeing the new walk-ons every every single year, which players the crowd starts going crazy cheering for. I think as long as Joe Few is on the roster, it's going to be him. Uh, and I, it's hard to it's hard not to understand why that would be the case. Everybody loves seeing a coach's kid succeed. Uh, but Kellen Mitchell's a name to keep an eye on. He may not play this year. I would hope. Not for his sake necessarily, but I would hope for the sake of Abe Eagle and Colby Brooks that those two guys are prioritized in terms of getting actual minutes on the court because they've put in their time. They spent the last two years as practice players on the roster, traveling at some points with the team, doing all of that, and they deserve a chance to get actually into some basketball games and play some blowout situations, but... Kellen Mitchell is a name to keep an eye on as well because he could be not only a fun walk-on in the coming seasons, but he could be somebody who, who legitimately surprises us in the future. Final question of the show. This one comes from Lucas Porter 8 on Twitter. Lucas says, how can Marco Gonzalez and the Mariners win the AL pennant and make their first World Series? Yeah, how fun was it? For those of you out there who are crossover Mariners and Zags fans, I know there's a bunch of you out there. The Mariners broke the streak. 21 years since they last made the playoffs, the stat that really shocked me was the stat that the last time the Mariners clinched a playoff spot prior to Cal Raleigh hitting that walk-off home run against Domingo Acevedo and the Oakland A's a couple of days ago, depending when you're listening to this, the last time the Mariners had clinched a playoff spot was before 9-11 happened. It was before September 11th, 2001, that they clinched a playoff spot during that 2001 season. That is a really long time. It's a really, really long time that it has been since the Seattle Mariners are headed to the playoffs. I'm very excited for them. It was fun to see the rebuild work 
Julio Rodriguez, Cal Rowley. Jared Kalanick had a rough season, but he was a contributor down the stretch for this team. George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, outstanding arms on the bump. Really, really fun to see this team. The season team do it. They made it. They did it. They did the dang thing that they've been trying to do for two decades now. Winning the AL pennant is going to be really, really tough. The Houston Astros are freakishly good. The New York Yankees are exceptionally good. The Cleveland Guardians, 20-90-win team. That's extremely rare for them, or extremely surprising, I should say, to see them do that. So I think for the Mariners staying healthy, Julio's been hurt. Uh, we've seen a couple of our guys kind of go down with some injuries. I think really staying healthy, getting healthy for the guys who need to get healthy. I have some concerns about the amount of innings that have been on some of the arms in the starting rotation. George Kirby and Logan Gilbert, young guys, they've already surpassed the amount of innings they've ever thrown professionally before. Oftentimes you see guys start to fall off a little bit when they get to that point. They're not able to be as impactful, as effective. It's understandable. It's really hard to play a full 162-game season. That's just not easy on your body. And in fact, I think when you look at those two young guys in particular, one of the key players for the Mariners is going to be Marco Gonzalez. Gonzaga legend, of course, graduated from the program in 2013. First round pick by the St. Louis Cardinals, ended up getting traded to the Mariners, has had a very nice career. He hasn't been quite as impactful this year to the point where he's probably not going to be a starting pitcher for the Mariners in the playoffs. But with Luis Castillo, with Robbie Ray, with George Kirby, with Logan Gilbert, those four guys are probably going to be the starters. But again, those two young guys, they may... We, we may see them not be as good as they were earlier in the year because of arm fatigue, because of, of that kind of stuff. And if they struggle, Marco's going to be one of the very, very first people called upon. He is going to be a big hinge for what this team is trying to do. I think it's a really, really tough path for the Seattle Mariners to win the pennant, for the Seattle Mariners to go to the World Series. I'm not sure that it happens this year. I think they're very clearly going in the right direction. Rodriguez, if Kellenick turns it around, Cal Raleigh's outstanding behind the plate. They got some other young guys that we haven't even seen yet. Harry Ford's a great prospect. Emerson Hancock, outstanding pitcher that they could call up in the next couple of years as well. I'm not sure it's going to happen this year. I think that they're well on their way, though, and I'm pumped not just for the entire program. I'm, of course, pumped for Marco himself. He's a Washingtonian uh, through and through. He grew up in Colorado, but he's a Washingtonian now because he went to Gonzaga. Of course, he's one of the most charitable players in all of Major League Baseball, a supremely nice individual, a guy that is really easy to root for, and it's fun to see him and the Seattle Mariners back in the conversation, back in conversations like this, where we're talking about them as a potential pennant winning team. This hasn't happened in decades. It's very, very fun to be able to have those kind of conversations. And I'm very, very happy for all Seattle Mariners fans, whether you're Gonzaga fans or not, to get to experience this for the first time in a very, very long time. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got a great week of content coming your way. We got a couple of my favorite guests coming back on the show. We're also going to start our player preview series as the year is coming up so soon right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Available on YouTube as well. Check it out there. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin, the local experts of Locked On, take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!